The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Carrickmacross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Carrickmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Carrickmacross or carrickmacrosscu.ie Friday morning, the 24th of May, Election Day. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Now we'll begin our programme this morning with our political editor Eileen Brophy who joins us as she usually does on Election Days uh, to encourage encourage you to go out and vote but there are some other issues to talk about uh, this morning as well and we'll begin in the United Kingdom where voting has concluded with uh, people going to the polls there yesterday and it's back to the business of Brexit and indeed the leadership of uh, the British government. It seems as though Theresa May's premiership is coming to an end. Good morning to you Eileen and uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, the Prime Minister is to meet with Graeme Brady, the chair of uh, the 1922 Committee of Conservative Backbenchers within the next hour or so. Uh, and he's going to ask her to step down and tell her that if she doesn't, well, she'll be pushed. Yeah, well, I think at this stage, like we've, we've heard uh, many times before that Theresa May was, is going to go, she's going to, you know, she won't last. Uh, she's going to resign. Uh, she's, you know, she's going to have to resign. Uh, all of that. But this time, I think it is the day for her. I don't think uh, that she she can survive this one. So what we believe is that she's going to meet today and she's going to tell him um, her time frame. Uh, and obviously, he'll have to be uh, happy. Uh, the backbenchers will have to be happy with the time frame. But we believe that the time frame will be early next month, so that's early June, um, and that will give uh, the the Tories mm. time uh, to vote in another a successor to her. And indeed, now, it'll uh, give uh, President Trump time to visit. I, I think she's talking about yes. stepping down on the tenth of June. They hope to the have it all wrapped up by the end of July. That's right. So, so, you know, we, we would see in July probably um, a, a new PM or a new prime minister. Uh, and I think this time, you know, a ballot was taken of the 1922 committee. Um, and we don't obviously know that ballot paper is actually sealed. But that was to change the rules um, in order to take a, no, a, a confidence vote, actually, in the prime minister, uh, which, would, which would mean that then she would be definitely pushed um, and she wouldn't be going to her own time frame uh, and there'd be no negotiations on it. Uh, so that, that, that's sealed. Nobody knows what's in that, but I think everyone probably have a very good idea. Because that so, would be the second vote within a year and the rules as they right. currently stand are that you can only have one confidence vote within a year. That's right. And what they want to do now is to change the rules in order to have that. So I think at this stage, um, it, it is curtains for her. Mm. She was meant to publish uh, the new um, uh, bill in order to uh, withdraw from the, from the EU. But we know that, you know, it's only words. It's only uh, changing uh, around how you say things. Um, and really, I think nobody, uh, well, most people uh, in Britain, uh, certainly in, in the Conservative Party and in the Labour Party, uh, which are the two main parties, are happy 
uh, with that. And her ministers have already told her that if she does publish that, if she mm. does bring it to the Parliament, they will vote against it. And she can't really have that. The chaos ensues. Uh, chaos, I think they're talking yes. about uh, up to 12 contenders uh, for uh, the right. leadership of uh, the Conservative Party. Boris Johnson appears to be the favourite. Uh, to be the favourite, yeah. He's a front runner. It's never good to be a front runner, though, at this time. But he has been really the front runner all along. Uh, so uh, people have been talking about him since day one, since since Theresa May got into trouble in the first place uh, with, you know, when she took that, mm. when she went to the country and didn't do as well as she thought she was going to do. So people have been talking about him. He's been making noises ever since then uh, himself. But he is the front runner. But there are lots of other people. Uh, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's Hunt, there's Gov, um, you know, there's... there's uh, uh, Stuart, there's a whole load of them there mm. that have been, been named. People, a lot of people that people wouldn't know. I think probably the you know Hunt, we all know, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove would be the ones we'd know. Uh, would, would be kind of household names here in Ireland. Um, so that's going to be interesting uh, to see who takes over from her because who, uh, if, it's, if it's Boris Johnson we're talking about, he's talking about uh, renegotiating the whole thing again. Mm, so yeah. um, <laughs> where, where, uh, where are we going to be? There's a, a lot of food for thought and it's not unusual yeah. to think uh, that uh, there's a, a lot of confusion surrounding anything to do with the B word uh, and Brexit has in itself caused problems in these elections. Europeans living here, Eileen, can vote today in the European elections or the local elections. The same yesterday, uh, as would have been the case uh, with Britons living across Europe. But because Britain decided to run candidates, to field candidates in the European elections so late in the day. The councils weren't prepared. There was a lot of paperwork that seems uh, to have uh, not been put in place. And it seems as though hundreds, if not thousands of people living in the United Kingdom weren't allowed to vote because of that problem and possibly the same with Britons living in Europe. Uh, And it seems as though we're having uh, some electoral problems here ourselves. In Kerry, there's a a chance that... Uh, there will be a legal challenge to the outcome of uh, the results uh, there. There could indeed, if the results are very tight, uh, there certainly could be. So in Kerry, we have uh, an inquiry uh, by the Garda Ombudsman and we also have a Garda investigation. Now, the Garda Ombudsman is inquiring into allegations of irregularities uh, in, in the register. And what they're looking at is that there's uh, allegations that 200 additional uh, changes of address have put on. But the problem with that was that it was alleged that they were stamped in a Garda station, Mm. um, hence the Garda Ombudsman, uh, without the the voter themselves been there. Because you have to be, in order to get it stamped for a change of address, you have to be there yourself Mm -hmm. and uh, and the guard. So so they're they're alleging that 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 didn't happen. So you're talking about 200 uh, of those in the the Killarney electoral area. And then there's another um, investigation, and this came to light apparently on on Wednesday. Um, Started on Monday after a council meeting where... um, they were talking about the uh, supplementary register mm. in Kerry. And um, it came up at the meeting and they called on um, uh, Drew Harris, uh, the Garda Commissioner, to investigate into this. Now, now, on Wednesday, it was actually the supplementary register was published. And apparently there's about 2,700 extra people on that register 
uh, for Kerry. Right. And uh, the uh, the concern is that would there be that many extra people uh, on the on on a supplementary register in a place like Kerry? Um, so the uh, superintendent from outside of the Kerry district uh, is coming in and he's been assigned to investigate that uh, by the Garda Commissioner. So that's the supplementary register in Kerry uh, is been looked at. So um, so there are two, like there's mm. an investigation and inquiry going on at the same time. And the problem is that, you know, if the, if the vote is tight, uh, any of the votes are tight in, in, in either the European or anything, mm-hmm. uh, there could be a challenge uh, to it. And uh, that's, that's where, you know, so they're, okay. they're investigating this So now. we could be hearing about that for some time to come. We certainly could. Uh, people will go to the polls today. Hopefully they will. Yeah. At least uh, if they do nothing else, we'd encourage them to do that, to go out and cast Definitely. their vote. Uh, people have shed blood in order for us to have uh, the opportunity to be able to do this today. It is uh, the single most democratic thing that any of us can do. Uh, but for a lot of people it, it will be daunting, particularly for first-time voters. What advice just very briefly, Eileen, have you got for people going out today? Because they'll be given three sheets and there'll be a lot of names yeah. in some of those sheets. An awful lot of names. So uh, you're given three sheets. So obviously the council one, you go so who's your preference? It, it, they could be at the top, they could be at the bottom, they could be in the middle. So whoever you want in first, you put one after. And then two, three, and all the way down after that, if you want to, or you can stop um, after where you are. A lot of people, which which has absolutely shocked me, a lot of people actually don't know the people in their constituency or in, in their in their areas, uh, particularly in the local um, elections. Now, the European, you can understand, because it is really such a long uh, list with so many people running. But again, with the European, you look and you decide who is your number one, who you want in there representing you. And you go down, uh, you know, you can go all the way down um, to to the very end and, and decide what you want to do. But you find your number one, whether at the top, the middle or the end, and you vote number one there and then whoever you want, number two and so on. Mm. Now then the other one is obviously the, uh, the divorce uh, referendum and that, like every other referendum, it will literally be a yes or a no. So yes, you agree uh, with the government or with you know, uh, on that, or no, you don't agree. And where, whether you agree or you disagree, you just put an X in the box that you agree or disagree in. So that is actually very simple. Uh, that will decide either yes, you agree, or no, you don't agree. Okay, and make sure that you have identification with you. Yeah, as well, have identification. Now, the other thing is, if you don't have a card, if you don't have a voting card, a polling card, you yeah, should mm-hmm. see, uh, sorry, a polling mm-hmm. card. You don't have to have a polling card. Obviously, it's much easier if you have because the number is on it, where you know which room you go into and which box you go to, and all of that. But if you don't, there is a supplementary register and you could be on that so you want to be whether you have a card or whether you haven't a card make sure you have a photo identification uh you know it could mm. be a bus pass it could be your your passport it could be a driving license it could be a student card um it could be anything like that that you have identification okay. uh particularly if you're you're going in on this on the supplementary register but there is a supplementary register and you could be on that 
Very good. And don't be afraid to ask questions. The staff are there to help and they are very helpful. They are indeed, (laughs) yeah. And, you know, certainly when you go early, um, you know, there'll be loads of time Mm. Uh, because I was there early now this morning and really there was very few there's only a few people coming in and out but really after tea tonight is always the one that gets very busy between then and 10 o'clock tonight you can vote yeah. on for 10 o'clock tonight and people will uh, you know a lot of people seem to come out um, after tea or else on their way home from work um, uh, to vote. So from that time on to 10 o'clock is normally very, very brisk, uh, particularly now because we have a good day today. Um, and, you know, so we'd have a good evening. So if you go early, uh, you will you will be able to ask questions. OK, thank you indeed, Eileen Brophy. As Eileen said, you can vote up till 10 o'clock tonight. Now, a survey of AA Motorists has found that over half of drivers in this country are in favour of speed restriction measures for vehicles. Let's talk about this with Conor Faulkner, who's the Director of Consumer Affairs with AA Ireland. Good morning to you, Conor, and thanks for joining us. What type of restrictions are you talking about? Well, uh, this got a little bit of, of press and attention about maybe a month or so ago, Mike, but this is new technology in cars, and it's something we'll get quite used to. Um, now, we're used to the seatbelt bleeper in most modern cars these days. You don't put the belt on, it will bleep in the cabin and annoy you until you just have to put it on. And essentially what's being proposed at EU level is something similar for speed. So if the car exceeds the speed limit, it will start beeping at you and annoying you and bringing you back into line. Uh, so in principle, the European Union is saying, yes, go ahead, let's put that in cars. Uh, so we'll be seeing it, we'll be hearing it. Uh, a technology like that will be coming along from 2022. Now, what we don't yet know is whether this would be, a, you know, an absolute speed limiter that would go off at, say, over 120 kph, mm. um, or whether it would seek to beep at you every time you broke an urban speed limit, um, you know, from the car knowing where it is, saying you've, you've entered a 30 kph zone. But that's all it would do is beep, is it? It, 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 it wouldn't would actually stop it, you from exceeding correct, the speed limit. Correct, yeah. And there's a rationale behind that because you may, in exceptional circumstances, need the power, need the, and, you know, ultimately the control and choice should be with the driver. Um, so the technology is not designed to, to actually stop the driver doing what he wants to do. Uh, but as I say, the analogy is the seatbelt bleeper. If you're absolutely bloody-minded about it, you could drive the car without putting the seatbelt on. But, you know, the, the beeping in the cabin would drive you mad. So people don't. They because at time, I take it, it can be dangerous not to exceed the speed Conceivably, yeah. You might yeah. be in the middle of a dangerous overtaking manoeuvre, for example. Mm. And maybe it's your silly fault for being in that situation. Yeah. Or an out-of-control truck is coming at you or a tree falling or something like exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. and you need instant acceleration. You don't have time to debate it with a computer. The car needs to go. Um, so, you know, the technology allows for that. But for me, the, the, the bigger concern, I, well, look, I don't have a concern. I would broadly favour this, and so do AA members and so do motorists. But I think as this develops, I, I, I would be concerned if, if, if it's trying to be granular, if it's trying to beep every time you break uh, an urban speed limit or a low speed limit, uh, because then, you know, you're relying on the speed limits being set correctly, and that's a whole other uh, can of worms. And, and there are rights, that, whether that might work in the Netherlands or Germany or somewhere like that, in Ireland, where the setting of speed limits generally is like a patchwork quilt and it's messy all over the country, you couldn't do that. You know? in, in the same way that Google Maps might send you down a one-way street. 
Yeah, indeed. Uh, um, it, it could just plain get it wrong. Um, and as I say, it's more likely to get it wrong in Ireland than elsewhere because the way in which we set our speed limits is pretty eccentric. Um, and we get it wrong ourselves. So I, I would have a concern about that. But this is just the evolution of safety and, and, and technology in cars. I mean, if you step back and look at the amount of technology that goes into the machines these days uh, and compare it to the cars of 20, 30 years ago, it's one of the big, big reasons why road deaths are down right across the board, right around Europe. It's, it's because of these technologies. There's other things too, but because of these technologies. And it's one more technological advance. All right, and uh, we're talking about it on National Slowdown Day, which uh, seems uh, appropriate in itself. Connor, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Connor Faulkner, Director of Consumer Affairs with AA Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. We're expecting to hear today that Theresa May will stay on as the British Prime Minister until the 10th of June so that she will be in office to greet President Trump when the American President visits the UK. Donald Trump is also to visit here on the 5th of June. Let's talk about this with Maureen O'Sullivan, Independent TD. Now, good morning to you, uh, Maureen O'Sullivan. Thanks uh, for joining us. I see in the papers uh, today that they're checking every manhole uh, on uh, the route to Dune Beg and that the security operation is in full swing, as the papers are putting it. But I don't think they can actually protect us from Donald Trump. <laughs> no, indeed. But like we had a similar situation in Dublin Central for the, the Queen's visit. You know, litter bins were removed and manhole coverage mm. were taken up and there was a lot of disruption in order to ensure the safety of the visitors. And of course, that has to be done. Of course. Uh, yeah. But will you be mm-hmm. protesting this visit? Well, in actual fact, due to a long-standing family commitment, I'm not going to be in Ireland when he comes, but I probably would be protesting. One part, part of one of the many peaceful protests, I think, that will be taking place when he's here, because you can't but protest when you listen to him and you see some of the policies that he has, you know, ranging from climate to borders, Mexico, Cuba, Iran, the whole list of them. Um, it's very difficult to welcome a president with those views, but... He is the democratically elected president of the United States. We mightn't like their choice, no more than we like the choice of Brexit, but we have to recognise that that is part of living in a democracy. And I prefer to live in a democracy than in certain other kinds of states that we have in the world. Mm. Uh, And I suppose uh, the argument is being made that uh, the protests uh, will be seen as a a protest against the office of the president and uh, against uh, the American people. I know, I don't think so. I mean, if we look back at other American presidents, I mean, I don't think there have been many American presidents who would have covered themselves in glory when it comes to human rights and justice. And we just think of President Bush and we can think of the Iraq war and we can think of what happened under President Reagan. And I mean, even President Obama, when he gave this this appearance of being for human rights and for justice, and he was certainly in certain areas. But during his um, time of office in America, there were more American military bases opened in the world than at any any time before. And we know the way in which drones were used um, during his uh, regime, during his his term of office as well, taking out targets here, there and everywhere with civilian loss of life. So, I mean, that is the reality of some of the American presidents. I think President Trump... I mean, the one thing about him is what you see is what you get. Mm. He doesn't um, say one thing and do the opposite behind behind the, that facade. So there, there, there is that aspect to him that we didn't see with other American presidents. And I think it's important 
um, that when they come, that there is that engagement. And I'm sure the Taoiseach and whoever meets him, while he has to be welcomed in a courteous way because he is democratically elected president, but yet the other points can be made about the issues that are important to Ireland and that we don't agree with them on. And of course, with Brexit, we do need um, to make those points that Brexit, the withdrawal agreement has to be respected. They might vote for it in England, but that's the agreement that was reached between with the EU. Mm. Uh, there's uh, many reasons uh, mm-hmm. to complain uh, about uh, American policy and indeed mm-hmm. uh, the president. Uh, if uh, there was one reason to protest uh, when Donald Trump is here, what would it be? Would it be because he's a misogynist? Uh, would it be because he's a, a racist? Uh, would it be because of his views on people of certain creeds? Would it be because of his foreign policy in countries like Chile or Venezuela or Israel uh, and Palestine, for that matter? Yeah. The list is endless. It really is. Mm. Um, I would. The two things with me would be that, that this climate change denial mm. and what he's doing in America to roll back on the Paris Agreement. I mean, I think that is majorly significant. And then, of course, I would have grave exceptions to the the kind of foreign policy that we have that he has. I mean, I would have been involved with Cuban issues, and I know the way in which the sanctions that are still there. 70 years on, you know, they're crippling the Cuban economy. And the, the, the Cuba is not the, the enemy in this, in this case at all. We look at Venezuela and what he has been trying to, to do there. We know there are issues in Venezuela, but it's up to the Venezuelan people to sort those out themselves, to give them the opportunity and the space to do that. It would seem as though he, has, he really has blood on his hands in Venezuela. He has. Well, 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 I don't think he has blood at the moment, but certainly it would appear that he, he was certainly moving that way. And I think the EU was reasonably strong, even though they recognised, I think countries recognised Greta much, much too quickly without looking at um, the other issues in Venezuela, that there is opposition mm. to Maduro, but there is um, legitimate opposition to Maduro and they want to put that, want to sort that out through the democratic process and through voting. Well, um, Juan Guaido is the self-declared mm-hmm. president, yes, isn't he? Yes, uh, and yes, yes. Nicolas Maduro is the democratically elected president. Yes, he, he, yes. he was elected by six million people, I think. Yeah, and um, I know there are questions over the fairness of the elections, but there is a process to work that one out. I mean, I was on leaders' question in the Doyle some time ago around that time and I put it to the clan Corley would he like to declare himself as President of Ireland because that's literally almost what it was like and, and declare an uprising and an uprising at and the same know, time yes exactly and I know there are problems in Venezuela mm. there's no doubt about that and it's a country with so massive resources of oil I mean it should be um, a, a very well balanced country and one of the points that my colleagues made when they came back from Venezuela was the extent of social housing mm. that President Maduro had built during his reign uh, and would I be right in thinking that uh, if uh, somebody was to declare themselves the President of Ireland uh, and call for an uprising that mm. maybe the Taunish uh, would be more entitled to do so than Johnny Murphy uh, mm. and the reason I ask you that is who yeah. is Juan Guaido? Exactly and if you look into his background he certainly has um, I think American educators, a lot of contacts within certain areas within the American, uh, within American society, people who would not be on the side of, you know, working class people or indigenous people or people who have been, you know, oppressed mm. for very long, whom the Chavez and Maduro have been trying to support. I do think President Chavez was a hard act to follow and President Maduro does not have that charisma that, that Chavez had. But, um, I, I just don't agree with the way in which we have handled that situation in Venezuela. Uh, But why is that uh, not being reported to us? Every day I'm watching the television uh, uh, and 
all of the time okay. I'm I'm hearing our national broadcaster tell us that this is uh, the rightful president, uh, that there's a, a regime, a dictatorship, yeah. an oppressive regime yeah. dictatorship yeah. in Venezuela, mm-hmm. and that this oppressive dictatorship is trying to stop foreign aid from coming in to help the poor people. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. But I think that the, the key in Venezuela appears to be the military and the control that they have. Um, and I, I would, don't particularly like that. Um, but you go back to the point that Maduro was elected and even though there might be doubts about the fairness of the election, I don't think it could be totally corrupt with that number of people who had voted for him. Well, it was endorsed by the Jimmy Carter Foundation, wasn't it? Yes, yes, indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Is the reporting that we're listening to coming from American sources? <laughs> well, um, there's lots of questions around the media and fake news and who is manipulating the media and who is behind it and the money that is behind the media as well. So I do think we have to be careful um, of what we what we are reading. And I know there are Venezuelan people who are, mm. who are hurting, but it's, it's a very divisive society. You know, you're either for Maduro or for Guido, but there is a huge body of people in between you know, a very legitimate opposition who are waiting for elections and hopefully the elections will come. But I do think behind President Trump, we do have the warmongers who are just itching. I think they have itchy fingers to get their hands on the guns, etc. Whether it's Venezuela or Iran, there's, and I think there is an obvious move towards some kind of conflict. Um, industry, certain industries probably want it um, and certain military people want it as well. And I think it is mm. a difficult time. You mentioned uh, the wars waged by George Bush, mm-hmm. another American president, yes. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, there was an oil grab. Uh, I think it's believed by many uh, by that particular president. Is it coincidental that Venezuela is an oil-rich country? It's not coincidental at all because we know that so many wars are driven by economics and we, we see that in so many of them. Venezuela has the oil, we can see that there, we see Iraq and the oil and we see Libya and Libya is just in an appalling state today. Absolutely appalling. And, you know, Libya was a country and I would have known people living there um, who had their education, they had their, their health, they had their, their access to travel, etc., etc. Not perfect. No country is perfect. And there were human rights issues under, under Gaddafi, but it was a stable country. But now it is anything but stable. And we know what's happening with them. The migrants who are trying to flee various countries in Africa, they're being brought to appalling detention centres in Libya. Um, Libya is just run by different militias. Um, it's just an absolutely dreadful state of affairs because they have oil. What about the oppression of uh, the Palestinians, the slaughter of the Palestinians and the support uh, for the Israeli regime? Is that because there's Jewish votes in America? Um, that, that's a really, really difficult. And I've had the opportunity to have travelled to Palestine, Israel a number of times. And there's no doubt when you are there and you see the extent of the settlements and the settlement building and the encroaching on Palestinian land. And at the same time, you have this kind of lip service to a two-state solution. The way it is going at the moment that two-station, two-state solution is just not going to be viable. It's like if you could imagine Ireland and, OK, the Irish government have control of two counties, say, in, in Munster and one county in Leinster and two in Connacht, and then they're expected to run that as a country. That's the best way to describe it. Um, I accept um, that, that whole area. I mean, we're back into history. Mm. It was the homeland of both Palestinians and people of the Jewish faith. Um, and they did live together um, side by side for many, many years. Then we had the Second World War. We had the Holocaust. We know the, the unspeakable horrors that were done to six million Jews 
and we can un- I can understand, but so many mistakes were made, starting back with that Balfour Declaration, which just gave over a country that was inhabited by another people to a, a different to a different group of people. But if there is merit in the arguments uh, that mm-hmm. you're making with us uh, this morning, why is it that Donald Trump may receive the Nobel Peace Prize because of <laughs> the wonderful work he, he's done with Korea and yeah. how he's stamping out the mm-hmm. nuclear threat yeah. from Iran? Yeah, but you look at President Obama, he, well, he wasn't a wet day in the place and he was being given the, 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 the Nobel Peace Prize as well. I mean, one would have to wonder about the Nobel Peace Prize sometimes. Okay, he is obviously making inroads with North Korea. Nobody wants a nuclear war in North Korea. But, I mean, there has to be a bit of balance of what he is creating, the tensions that he's ratcheting up in other areas. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed. We'll have much to talk about, I'm sure, before the 5th of June. But thank you, as I say, for joining us today. Independent TD, Maureen O'Sullivan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to the ongoing Brexit crisis and uh, the end of uh, Mrs May's leadership of uh, the Conservative Party. It seems all but inevitable at this stage. Paddy Malone, Piero with Dundalk Chamber of Commerce joins us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Paddy. Uh, what do you make of uh, the prospect of uh, Boris Johnson becoming the next Prime Minister? Frightening, isn't it? Um I was at a conference yesterday at the Chamber organised in relation to, um, uh, with the AIB, they were giving an economic forecast in the whole region. And Oliver Mangan, who was speaking at it, said, that the thing we haven't failed, we have failed to understand in Europe, and, and we were probably more guilty and we, and we should have understood it. There's an ideological hang-up that's going back to the 19th century, and that's where we are now. And uh, unfortunately... Um, Britain is addressing the wrong issue. I mean, they often say the generals fight the last war rather than the current war. I think the British are at this stage addressing issues that were maybe relevant 100 years ago, maybe 150 years ago, but not now. Boris Johnson may be the next Prime Minister, but I'm not sure it's going to be that straightforward. Uh, I think she's expected to step down on uh, the 10th of June. Mm. Uh, We'll know later in the day the exact details of that. But I I would imagine that that will be the beginning of uh, the meltdown and that the next Prime Minister will have to win a general election. Yeah, and let's face it, um, that's not going to happen. I mean, no side is, is, is going to be able to take it. Even the Lib Dems, who have always, because of their foot-past-the-post system, lost out badly, even they are beginning to think that there's a chance for them to make significant ground this time out. Um, so, look, it's, it's, it, is what, where, it is a mess. Um, and from the Chamber's point of view and from business point of view in the dock, the only thing that we can say to people is, for God's sake, plan. And I just mm. say it, Michael, because... I, I wear my chamber hat, but that's the most important thing. There is facilities, you know, I'm a Brexit advisor. There are plenty of other Brexit advisors that are recognised by Intertrade and by the Leo office. Please, it doesn't matter how small you are, get in there and talk to, talk to us and talk to other people. Because you mightn't think that you've got an, a, a Brexit issue, but where's your supplier getting their product from? You know, and if you start thinking down the food chain, down the supply chain, you suddenly realise some of the product you're selling might have come from the UK maybe two or three stages earlier. Mm. So it is a serious issue, particularly along the border. We do need to address it. And, you know, I, 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 we, you and I have been discussing this for three years and we've been watching a slow car crash knowing that it's serious and we can't do anything to help. Mm. Uh, it really is hard to believe. How long have we got? Have we got at least four months? That, that was the point that was made yesterday, actually, at the conference. And, and, and it was loud and clear. If a British Prime Minister 
gets in, a new one gets into power any time after the 10th of June, they can literally decide we're going today. Mm. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Even the UK Parliament technically, you know, there's an argument as to whether that vote that did pass it said that you can't leave without it, that they can't leave without mm. an agreement. There's a question mark over whether that's got any legal validity. So mm. it appears that Boris Johnson or Nigel Farage or whoever would be in number 10 uh, can just simply get up one morning and go to the Queen and say we're leaving. And there's nothing anyone can do about it. Okay, but you don't realistically expect that to be the case, do you? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. So uh, the, the, the 31st of October, that's that's the of deadline. Course, the last, Halloween, is, it looks yeah, like it's yeah. going to be the next crunch time. Yeah, and, and it might be extended out past that. And then again, you're back yeah. into Groundhog Day mm-hmm. and you're back into it being extended yet again and yet again. Mm. Um, and I can understand the, the, the frustration of people in Britain uh, but the problem is that they never address the issue, the question that they should have been asking themselves. They address the wrong issue. Mm. And this is going back to, I, I heard someone critique Rhys Mogg's book recently. They, we published one. And he said, for, a ninth, for an 18th century lawyer, uh, for, uh, he, it was a pretty good effort. But unfortunately, it's not even the 19th century. Mm. Uh, so he needs to bring himself up to date. So I, you know. Yeah, I, I think these things don't happen in isolation, though. And I mean, it might just be Theresa May stepping down as the Prime Minister, which obviously is a very significant thing in itself. But it's not just that, uh, because it'll trigger a, a train of events, will it not? Yeah, and most of it a, a car crash or a train crash or whatever way you want to put it. Because, you know, I was listening to a couple of the British Tories talking today about, well, if you, we do change it, what, do, what does the new guy do? Does he take Farage on head on and lose the remain wing within the Conservative Party or the soft Brexiteers mm. or whatever else? Or does he go the other way and give Farage even more ammunition? You know, the problem is that Cameron didn't plan. And there was a program on last night on BBC and one of Cameron's main advisors was there and she, she was asked, what was plan B if, 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 if he lost it? And mm. she looked and he said, she, she, silence, and she said... Uh, they said, well, is that the answer? You didn't think it was going to happen, mm. and you didn't plan for it. Mm. Which, you know, unfortunately, you, me, and everybody else, and the closer you are to the border, we've got to live with it. Mm. Um, and it is a matter that affects every single person, uh, whether it's a shopkeeper, working, or whether it's a girl working in the shop for make, make a few extra pounds at the night, uh, uh, for going out of the weekend, or whatever it is. They're going to be affected. Every single person in Dundalk and down as far as Jordan and Navin and everywhere else, we're all going to be affected by this. Yep. You know, it, it, it is one of those things that's just going to be. Um, and it reminds me of the Vietnam War when I was a kid growing up. You know, you put on the news and it was the Vietnam War and you say, oh God, not again. Yeah. And I can understand people switching off with Brexit. Mm. I can really understand it. But unfortunately, it's too serious for all our daily lives to do that. We don't have that luxury. Mm. Or, or, or the troubles in Northern Ireland, you know, you, Indeed. you'd hear that two people were kneecapped or a bomb went off and you'd hardly absorb the news because it's just this continuous thing that uh, is really impossible to solve. But if there isn't a solution to Brexit by the 30, 31st of October, uh, well then, we're in bigger trouble than we would be if we hadn't prepared for it. Is there the time, the time to prepare for it in between now and then? Yeah, there is. There's, 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 there are things that people can do and sit down, and wh- whether it's a matter of sitting down and looking at who your suppliers are, 
figuring out whether you should open a sterling bank account either here or in Uri, and there's no laws against you to, for doing things like that. There are plenty of things that businesses can be getting on with and doing um, and getting themselves ready. And I think that's the message that I would give to businesses. We don't know what's going to happen. You might, and the thing about it is, the grant scheme between Intertrade and Leo mean that guys like myself who can go in and help you doing these things, it's 100% supported. It's not that the businesses are going to have to spend money. The governments have been making it available. So therefore, there's no immediate cost on the, on, the, on, on the business. And you can rest. You can then at least go to bed at night saying, well, I've done what I can. You don't want to be the last week in October running around to the banks and saying, I need uh, open an AIB bank account. I need, or, uh, I need to open a Bank mm. of Ireland uh, sterling account. We all know how difficult it is to open accounts and do, deal with banks nowadays. If you're all trying to do it in the last minute, it's not going to work. So a bit of common sense, a bit of taking a bit of stock, seeing what the problems are, identifying what the solutions are and implementing them. And, it, you know, as I said, there's enough people around the place. The Leo office in the dock, we are blessed with Thomas McAvoy um, in the dock. He's just, you know, he's ex-IDA. He knows his stuff. Um, so there's plenty of support and businesses, whether it's a retailer or whether it's, so it's not manufacturing, it's not necessarily manufacturing or anything like that. I did have a row with the government and we made submissions in the chamber that it was all very well supporting exporters and manufacturers and even the farming community, all of which got special mention in the budget. But there is funding now for ordinary, for other businesses like uh, retailers or other businesses that don't do export. So it's available Go in and find. Go in, do your research now. You don't want to be doing it the last week in October. Okay. Paddy, we'll leave it there for the moment. For Thank you, though, as always, for joining us today. Paddy Malone, PRO for the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Theresa May appears to be hanging on for dear life, says a listener. A bit like Andy Kenny did when he announced his retirement. What is she waiting around for, Michael? To be here to meet Trump really is a last resort. (laughs) Yeah, well... (laughs) I, I don't know. Gronia mm. says that you think Theresa May would have had enough if she's going to go. Just go. Don't be clinging on for a dear life. Mm. Uh, Martin from Dundalk, and I have to say, this did give me a laugh, Michael. <laughs> Michael, I'd say you couldn't wait for the election to be over so you could start talking about Brexit again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was yeah, great yeah, to have yeah, a break mm. for it for a few weeks, says Martin. I was wondering how long it would take you. Not long. Mm. <laughs> She'll mm. love it, Michael, yeah, don't well, that's you? It, yeah. It's your well, favourite topic. If I you were don't... to go on Mastermind, that would probably be the subject you'd choose, would it? <laughs> Do you think so? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I know about Brexit. I don't know what anybody knows about Brexit. But if you love Brexit like I love Brexit, <laughs> as uh, the song goes. Uh, but uh, unfortunately... Uh, uh, there's little option but to be talking about Brexit today because of uh, the ongoing crisis in British politics uh, and indeed it seems now the meltdown in terms of uh, the Premiership and where this goes from here, well we'll probably have a, a better idea by the end of the day, undoubtedly we'll have a, a better idea by the 10th of June and they say that uh, if all goes to plan there'll be a new leader of the Conservative Party by the end of July who'll also be the British Prime Minister but 
God knows what will happen in Bettina as I to know. whether there'll be a general election, another referendum or And Paddy Malone whatever. seemed worried in that interview with you, didn't he? Well, I think he's cautiously uh, concerned uh, and uh, thinking better to be prepared than not for the worst. Mm. On speeding, mm. we've had some response to your interview mm. with Conor Faulkner. Anne agrees with the move to put speed retra- restrictors on cars. It could be offered as an incentive. If you get this technology, then you get a discount on your insurance costs, etc. Etc. We need to do whatever possible to slow people down on our roads. The current carnage is frightening. Some people have no consideration for other road users. Okay, well, it's a, a warning system, really, rather than a restricting system. Uh, mm-hmm. And that uh, you'd hear this sound beeping in your car if you go over the speed limit. As Connor said, the question yes. is which speed limit, where, and when. Yes, and this is um, who was mentioning mm. that. One of our listeners was just saying that uh, Jack actually mm. uh, phoned in. Fields was there needs to be more speed cameras erected around the country. Fields that many people don't seem to know the speed limits moving from one area to another. In mm. other words, he says if you're coming from maybe a country area into an urban area, into a town, the people aren't slowing down as soon as they get into a town mm-hmm. and he feels that this needs to be clamped down on. Yeah, God, I think... Uh I'm not sure if uh, Jack is being very generous to people or if he's being very insulting to people (laughs) because uh, he's uh, suggesting that maybe they don't know and they're doing this unintentionally Mm. or else he's suggesting that they're so stupid that they can't even look out for the speed sign limits. Oh, no, Michael, that's a bit harsh. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's one or the other. I'm so stupid that you don't. I've often driven. Have you not often driven? Because I have, and maybe Mm. I am stupid now, but I have often driven and thought to myself, especially in areas that you're not really familiar with, Mm. and thought to yourself, God, I just wonder, I haven't seen the sign in a while. I Mm. wonder what the speed limit is. Mm. Or I've often. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I had that mm. kind of thought, mm. you know you know, that I'm not 100% sure. Mm. It's different, I think, when you're familiar with an mm. area, but if you go outside areas that you're not familiar mm. with, yeah. you know. Oh, well, I, I, I must admit, uh, there are times when I haven't been paying attention as well. Yes. That's <laughs> what I was Okay, I'm not stupid. Well, I just don't pay attention. Well, it's one or the other. I mean, the speed limit signs are there, aren't they, you know? Okay, um, right. Mm. Yeah, well, I suppose speed limit signs are yeah. there. But I mean, I suppose when, when, when you're driving, uh, the onus is you have that responsibility to be watching out you for do. all those things. Uh, and if you haven't been watching out for them, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, well, that's not anybody's fault, but your own. I is know. It? And mm. I did get mm. caught once, Mike, and I will hold my hand mm-hmm. up and say, and it was a genuine error when you mm. say to people mean it, because I was coming off um, the motorway, going into Fingless, and... I was stopped by a guard and I pulled down the window, not even realising mm. I'd done something wrong. And I had just switched from one 
a speed zone to another and I hadn't seen the sign mm. and I think it was about I don't it could have been 10 miles over or not 10 you know I mm. could have been over the speed limit mm. but mm. I was totally oblivious because when I rolled down the window to the guardie I thought like he was he mm. was maybe looking for directions or he was looking for yeah. something you know yeah, I well, actually mm, didn't mm. even cop it Yeah well I mean there's definitely questions uh, to be asked uh, about uh, some of the limits and how they're set in, in this country and I don't know if you'll find anybody better than Conor Faulkner to make those arguments. Uh, I mean, you'll see uh, that you can drive, uh, technically speaking at least, at 80 kilometres an hour in areas uh, that it would be lethal to do that in. Uh, And you'll also see areas where you're going suddenly from 100 kilometres to 50 kilometres. And you really have to hit the brakes if you were doing 100 to suddenly comply with the new speed limit. And if you were unfamiliar going into that area, yes. that would be a dangerous situation. But that's the way they set the limits in this country. There's no doubt. Yes. <laughs> Martin wants yeah. to know, how effective can this technology actually be? Surely it's only a matter of time before so, th- some um, of the whiz figures, some whiz kid figures out a way of overriding or cheating the technology. Mm. So in terms of that. So that's the, what he was saying about that. Another listener was saying that um, Gerger got in touch and Gerger says that uh, Connor uh, makes a lot of sense and feels that people needs to slow, need to slow down that uh, speed kills and that we need to remember that. Mary phoned in and Mary says, Michael, have you ever been sitting um, in a car, uh, drive through traffic lights, you're going along uh, within the speed limit and somebody overtakes you at a mad speed and you're just wondering where are they going or what are they doing? And then you come up to another traffic lights maybe you know up the road a couple Mm. hundred kilometres or whatever and there they are and there's still only one car ahead of you Mm. but they just seem to be speeding for absolutely no reason Mm. so that's uh, you know her thoughts on it Okay, we've had a couple on Trump have we time? Uh, We do but before we do we should let people know that uh, Theresa May has announced that she's to step down as a Prime Minister and uh, she has said that she'll be leaving her position on the 7th of June that will obviously open up uh, leadership contest and we'll hear more about that later Oh, very good. So it's all happening, Michael. Uh, Debbie from Navin. I disagree with politicians protesting against Trump. Just because they may not like the man or his policies, he is still the elected president of the USA and we need to respect the office, whether we personally like him or not. Jim is aghast that Donald Trump is coming to Ireland. He thinks that it would not present a good image here if there were big protests against him. America is a good friend to Ireland and we should extend the same Cade Me Lefalter to him as we did to other presidents. Sean says he remembers the excitement when Barack Obama okay. came to Ireland. Okay, just hold that. Uh, yeah. I think we might be able to hear a little bit of uh, Theresa May speaking now. Okay. Unfortunately, she's just concluded uh, what she has uh, been saying to reporters uh, just outside of uh, Downing Street. But uh, as uh, I said, uh, she has announced uh, that she'll be leaving office on the 7th of June. Okay. Well, I'll go back to uh, Trump. Sean says he remembers the excitement when Barack Obama came to Ireland. People really wanted to see and hear him, Mm. but that is not the same with Donald Trump. People just cannot understand where he's coming from in relation to a lot of issues. Yeah, well, people wanted to see Barack Obama, but uh, there were plenty of people in the world who didn't want to see his bombs fall out of the sky and kill them and uh, their children. Uh, There's a lot of reasons, uh, I think, uh, for people to protest against... uh, 
the policies of the American administration, which of course are being guided to a large degree by a man who has absolutely no respect for women, uh, who has absolutely no respect for his neighbours and wants to build a a wall and has uh, created a feeling of hatred against Mexicans and indeed Muslims and people Mm. of other races. Uh, A man who has uh, started uh, what can only be seen as insurrections in countries like Venezuela or Chile as come down on the side of the Israelis to oppress the Palestinians uh, and is a threat to world peace, generally speaking, with his policies in relation to nuclear powers and indeed there's the ongoing fl- uh, co- conflicts in the world uh, with uh, ISIS and uh, the Americans' role in all of that. So I think that there probably is reason mm. for concern uh, and reason to voice that concern when Mr Trump comes to visit this country. Michael, forget about about Brexit on on Mastermind. I think it should be Trump. Oh. <laughs> okay. Eugene, mm. if I can just get to him, phoned in about road mm. safety, but saying, but says, what about all the election posters, Michael, that are blocking the roundabouts? Uh, hopefully, they'll be taken down soon. Oh, I'm sure they will. They have to be taken down within a week, don't That's they? That's right, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and John from Navan phoned in, and John can't believe that Michael Reed hasn't mentioned all the arrests and car seizures yesterday, or are are you just all about bad news? Uh, well, I, I don't know. We will be talking about we the arrests will. and the car seizures. Uh, so I keep think, listening, John. I think, keep that listening. Was, I think that was very bad news uh, for some people. I'm yes. delighted to say it was very bad news for some people. I, I think there was uh, a lot of uh, people uh, locally, not just in Drogheda, but in Trim, as we've That's been right. hearing, uh, who have uh, been very happy to hear some of the bad news that people have been putting up with over the course of the last 24 And we will be bringing it to you, John, Mm -hmm. later on in the programme. Okay. We'll finish on that. Thanks, Marie. Thanks, John. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, has uh, just uh, announced uh, that uh, she's to step down as uh, the leader of uh, the Conservative Party and as Prime Minister. We should be able to hear what Theresa May had to say now. Ever since I first stepped through the door behind me as Prime Minister, I have striven to make the United Kingdom a country that works not just for a privileged few, but for everyone, and to honour the result of the EU referendum. Back in 2016, we gave the British people a choice. Against all predictions, the British people voted to leave the European Union. I feel as certain today as I did three years ago that in a democracy, if you give people a choice, you have a duty to implement what they decide. I have done my best to do that. I negotiated the terms of our exit and a new relationship with our closest neighbours that protects jobs, our security and our union. I have done everything I can to convince MPs to back that deal. Sadly, I have not been able to do so. I tried three times. I believe it was right to persevere, even when the odds against success seemed high. But it is now clear to me that it is in the best interests of the country for a new Prime Minister to lead that effort. So I am today announcing that I will resign as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party on Friday the 7th of June, 
so that a successor can be chosen. I've agreed with the party chairman and with the chairman of the 1922 committee that the process for electing a new leader should begin in the following week. I have kept Her Majesty the Queen fully informed of my intentions and I will continue to serve as her Prime Minister until the process has concluded. It is and will always remain a matter of deep regret to me that I have not been able to deliver Brexit. It will be for my successor to seek a way forward that honours the result of the referendum. To succeed, he or she will have to find consensus in Parliament where I have not. Such a consensus can only be reached if those on all sides of the debate are willing to compromise. For many years, the great humanitarian Sir Nicholas Winton, who saved the lives of hundreds of children by arranging their evacuation from Nazi-occupied Czechoslovakia through the kinder transport, was my constituent in Maidenhead. At another time of political controversy, a few years before his death, he took me to one side at a local event and gave me a piece of advice. He said, never forget that compromise is not a dirty word. Life depends on compromise. He was right. As we strive to find the compromises we need in our politics, whether to deliver Brexit or to restore devolved government in Northern Ireland, we must remember what brought us here. Because the referendum was not just a call to leave the EU, but for profound change in our country. A call to make the United Kingdom a country that truly works for everyone. I'm proud of the progress we have made over the last three years. We have completed the work that David Cameron and George Osborne started. The deficit is almost eliminated. Our national debt is falling and we are bringing an end to austerity. My focus has been on ensuring that the good jobs of the future will be created in communities across the whole country, not just in London and the South East, through our modern industrial strategy. We have helped more people than ever enjoy the security of a job. We are building more homes and helping first-time buyers onto the housing ladder so young people can enjoy the opportunities their parents did. And we are protecting the environment, eliminating plastic waste, tackling climate change and improving air quality. This is what a decent, moderate and patriotic Conservative government on the common ground of British politics can achieve, even as we tackle the biggest peacetime challenge any government has faced. I know that the Conservative Party can renew itself in the years ahead, that we can deliver Brexit and serve the British people with policies inspired by our values. Security, freedom and opportunity those values have guided me throughout my career. But the unique privilege of this office is to use this platform to give a voice to the voiceless, to fight the burning injustices that still scar our society. That is why I put proper funding for mental health at the heart of our NHS long-term plan. It's why I'm ending the postcode lottery for survivors of domestic abuse. It is why the race disparity audit and gender pay reporting are shining a light on inequality so it has nowhere to hide. And it is why I set up the independent public inquiry into the tragedy at Grenfell Tower to search for the truth 
so nothing like it can ever happen again. And so the people who lost their lives that night are never forgotten. Because this country is a union, not just a family of four nations, but a union of people, all of us. Whatever our background, the color of our skin or who we love, we stand together and together we have a great future. Our politics may be under strain, but there is so much that is good about this country, so much to be proud of, so much to be optimistic about. I will shortly leave the job that it has been the honor of my life to hold. The second female prime minister, but certainly not the last. I do so with no ill will, but with enormous and enduring gratitude to have had the opportunity to serve the country I love. My word, uh, cheerful Theresa May announcing her resignation as uh, the British Prime Minister and leader of uh, the Conservative Party. She's to step down on the 7th of June. She said that the reason that uh, she is stepping down is because she's failed to get agreement for her withdrawal bill. She described Brexit as the biggest peacetime challenge, but a challenge that has obviously eluded her. She'll be in situ on the 3rd of June to greet Donald Trump, the President of America, as Prime Minister, but she's stepping down on Friday, the 7th of June, to allow for a leadership contest. We're joined by Nigel Renigan, who's IFA Regional Chairman. Uh, He's uh, here to talk about other issues, Uh, but Nigel, you've been listening to Mrs May there. What do you make of what the Prime Minister had to say? Look, Michael, she's found herself in a very tough situation, the fact that she tried to get her Brexit Deal agreement within the within the country, and maybe it's it's a sign that there's the deeper issues within the country, and maybe within our own party, where you have a lot of people with maybe self-interest and self-promotion rather than the the interest of the of the nation as as a whole. But look, it's it's, it's not my position to be to be to be. That's just a personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, but uh, I, I'm sure you'll agree that uh, it, it uh, brings uh, the uh, situation to the ongoing uh, one uh, of it being as clear as mud and uh, there's still uh, quite a, a lot to be done uh, before uh, we get to the 31st of October and God knows what will happen in between now and then. As I said, you're here to talk to us about other issues and uh, it's a nice day out there, a good day for farmers to be doing some work. Indeed, it's a very busy time of the year and you're asking farmers to be responsible and motorists uh, who have to share the roads with tractors and so forth uh, to be patient. That's correct. We have farmers are flat out now at the minute. We're, we're, we're very, very busy between getting silage in. That's a combination of, of, of silage coming into pits and farmers making round bales. And we also have a lot of farmers out spraying crops and farmers, you know, putting out slurry as well. So we have a combination of things. So the one thing, look, we have teamed up with the RSA Ultimately, when you see a tractor on the road, the first thing I'd say is just be cautious. I know tractors, we have a duty as farmers that our tractors are are lit up adequately and we have beacons on it and indicators on our our tractors and machinery. But the nature of machinery, when you're going in through fields and out through gaps, sometimes they may, I'm not saying be defective, but 
you know, you can't have, um, just all I'm saying is mm. always be cautious. And remember, when you look at the size of a tractor, when that tractor, on the big, main, on the big larger roads, it's not as big of an issue. But on some of the, the slightly smaller roads, mm. when a tractor goes to pull out from a field, remember, there could be almost a metre and a half of the tractor out protruding onto the road before the farmer that's in the tractor can actually look to his left and his right. Just to get the swing apart from anything else. That's exactly right. Because mm. whenever you come out onto the road, even if you try to go mm. sideways, the tractor's come out quite a bit onto the road. And if, you, if two cars are meeting each other along a road and a guy sees a tractor pulling out, he thinks the tractor's just pulling out, you know, a couple of, you know, mm. half a metre onto the road. But the, the reality is he's pulling out, you know, maybe a metre or a metre and a half just to get a line of sight. And look, at this time of year, look, we're all cautious and we all mm. know about road accidents. Just, we're just asking farm, ask, we're asking farmers and the general public just to be very cautious at this time of year. If you see a tractor, expect the unexpected. And I suppose one of the things that infuriates motorists a lot of the time is that tractors are, by their nature, slow vehicles, but they're also on occasion, big, powerful vehicles. And some of them are bigger than others. And some of them are very wide. And on small roads, uh, I take it uh, it's a, a skillful thing to keep it uh, as far in on the left as you'd like it to be. Yes, that's the one thing. Look, we all know that if, if you're coming along a road and there's a yellow line, you're meant to, we're meant to keep between the yellow line and the white line. That's just the, 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 the law of the land. The hard shoulder is for breakdowns and emergencies, and we're not meant to be in that because that yellow, that between the the the, mm. the verge of the road and the yellow line, that's to facilitate people pull, pulling out from the gates of their houses, mm. and farmers even pulling out from the, from the fields. But a lot of places there, look, if if you're holding up traffic, I would say to farmers pull in and let the traffic go on ahead past you. If it's possible, because sometimes there aren't any lines at all and it's not possible to pull in and sometimes it feels driving towards a tractor that there's very little space left on the road to get past. It is, and look, the farmer in that instance, you will find the farmer will be slowing up. Mm. And if there is, I've seen situations myself on the road where you could have five or six or seven cars behind uh, a large, slow-moving vehicle on the road. And what you will find is a little bit of patience. That farmer, you will always find when he sees in his mirrors that there's cars behind him, where there's a junction, he'll pull into that junction to let the cars go past. And that's all we're saying is, you know, for everybody to have a little bit of patience. And whatever happens, don't try to do a dangerous overtaking manoeuvre. If you're behind a large trailer mm-hmm. and a large tractor... On a narrow road, don't take your own life in your hands by trying to, for the sake of, of a minute or two minutes on your journey, try to pass that out and wind up that you mm. haven't enough room to go past or meet an oncoming car. Yeah, or even if it's five or ten minutes, because it's always better to get there late than not get there uh, at all. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I suppose uh, there's a, a message for farmers as well, as you said, like to pull in when they can and that, uh, but also uh, to be responsible because farmers are, are very busy and they're under a lot of pressure and they're trying to get a lot done at this time of the year. But people uh, get quite a, a annoyed on occasion at the dirt that's left behind on the roads. Yes, what we are seeing is is for farmers to, to wash vehicles where possible. 
there's not that much dirt, generally speaking, coming out on the roads nowadays because fields, people have the, the, them stolen into fields. It happens more in very wet weather or you're very sticky or, or very tough weather for, for farmers. Let's say they're trying to get crops out of the field and the weather's totally against you. And if you have that situation, mm. yes, there will be muck pulled out into the field, out onto the road. But in that case, you will find the farmers will have road sweepers available to sweep the road and even put water on the road to clean the road up after them. And I would be saying that that is important for the farmers to be doing. But that's what they should be doing, yes. Well, that's what they should be doing, Mm. and generally what they will be doing. And look, let's bear in mind now, like, in in terms of of farmers keeping roads, it's not that long ago where we were snowed out of it, and it was the farmers that were actually opening up Mm. the roads. So Mm. it's a two-way street here, you know, whereas other times people was delighted to see the farmer coming in along a small road, clearing the road out for people to get access in and out. We have to remember, you know, we're there, you know, we work with these machineries through good times and through bad times. We have small windows, small opportunities to get the work done on farms in very good weather. And that's what it is. We're practically working 24-7 at the Mm. minute. And look, I, I appeal to farmers too that is working very long hours to try and get a bit of a break too because there is a mental and physical exhaustion going on as well because of the weather that we have in Ireland. Absolutely, but uh, thankfully the weather is on your side this year, I think, isn't it? Well, it is at the minute. It is is at the minute, and that's why when the weather is good, we have to make maximum use of it. Yeah, make hay, as they say. Nigel, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Nigel Renigan, IFA Regional Chairman. Michael Michael Reed Reed on LMFM. Now, the unemployment rate in this country is 4.6%. That's uh, the lowest rate since 2005. 2.3 million people are at work, and uh, it's uh, a lot better than it was in 2012 when we had an unemployment rate of 16%. The youth unemployment rate is now 13%. Let's talk about this with James Durley, who who's uh, the Deputy Director with uh, the National Youth Council of Ireland. Good morning to you, James, and uh, thanks for joining us. Put this into context for us, if you would, because 13% is very high, but far below what it was. I think at the peak in around 25%, was it? Um, Good morning, yes. Actually, uh, in February 2012, it was up around 31%, so we were coming up to a third of, of young people in the labour market being unemployed. So it's, it's certainly 13% is, is a lot better. Um, but I suppose for us, it still is uh, way too high. Um, you know, we, we believe a lot more can be done to, to reduce youth unemployment, reduce long-term youth unemployment. Um, you know, there are um, th- there are measures, I suppose, we would argue that the government can take, for example, in relation to improving access to apprenticeships, you know, back mm. to education, uh, more focus on some employment subsidies, because the youth unemployment rate is still is now running almost two and a half times that of the... The, the unemployment rate of the general population. So I suppose there is a concern there that there is a quarter of young people that are being left behind. Well, I, I take it that the reality of uh, the situation is that there are a lot of young people, far more than 13%, let's say, who aren't in school or who aren't in college who are unemployed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, there, there, I suppose there is... Um, you have what's called the, the unemployment rate of those young people who are signing on, uh, and, you know, and in receipt 
of uh, assistance and then there are other young people who maybe uh, are what are called not in education, employment or training uh, and they're another cohort that's there as well. So I suppose it is great that, I mean, there are a lot more opportunities out there and obviously we always encourage young people to engage with um, the employment service, engage with education and training. You know, there is a mm. personal responsibility on the individual to do that. But also I think there is an, it is important that the government don't take, doesn't take its eye off the ball. We certainly don't like um, references to full employment because when we still have so many young people unemployed, we certainly don't have full employment. Mm. We definitely do think that... Um, you know, it's a lot better and it's a very positive story. But I think, you know, for example, apprenticeships, um, that's been a, a good news story in the last number of years. But we'd be a bit concerned that really the change in the nature of apprenticeships is making it difficult for some young people to access uh, to access them. Um, and certainly we're in, in, you know, at the moment we're promoting the idea of greater um, support for access to apprenticeships. Like for, mm-hmm. at the moment you have uh, put a lot of investment into supporting young people who want to go on in third level, you know, those access programs. You don't have that in apprenticeships because some, because at the moment some apprenticeships you need, you know, you need qualifications at a certain level. Uh, you might need some other support to to get on get on an apprenticeship, and some young people don't have them. If they dropped out of school early, for example, they might not have maths, which is a very it's really important for things like to become a, a, an electrical uh, apprentice. So mm. there are things we need to do to ensure that we don't leave a core of young people behind. Thankfully, as we have employment opportunities available, I'm sure there's lots of employers out there wondering, you know, how come uh, I, I, I want, I, I would like uh, young people, I, I would like to take on young people, but I suppose sometimes it is also an issue that young people mightn't have the skills or the qualifications necessary for the jobs that are available. We don't have the skills, don't have the qualifications, don't have the interest perhaps, uh, because I, I take it that uh, you are talking about an awful lot of young people who aren't, in school or college who are unemployed uh, because if you look at the age group that we're talking about who are defined as youth when it comes to youth unemployment it's 15 to 24 year olds and you'd have to assume that all 15 year olds are in school or almost all because uh, I don't think you're uh, allowed to leave school legally until you're 16 at least and you'd imagine most people are in school till they're about 17 or 18 or 19 perhaps Mm -hmm. an awful lot of young people are in college and and they don't come into this 13% do they? No, they don't. No, it's only those young people who are in the labour market that are counted. So certainly any young people, any young person who's in college, they're not part of this cohort. I think, uh, no, certainly I wouldn't agree that young people aren't interested. The vast majority uh, want to work, want mm. to progress their career. I think sometimes it's just that if young people have a bad experience in school, they drop out of the system. And then sometimes it's quite hard then to get back into the system and maybe you don't have the support because... Uh, that's an issue uh, that that, def- that definitely does arise. And I think, I suppose, the job of all of us, you know, our member organisations, youth organisations working on the, around the country, they're supporting young people who maybe had a bad experience in the education system, you know, by giving them opportunities, maybe, you know, not mm. lots of young people. Certainly, I'm, I'm, I'm involved with the, an access to apprenticeship uh, pilot programme um, in Dublin. And, you know, uh, some of the young people there who are involved in that, who really have great skills and great aptitude for apprentices, you know, to do different trades, they will not go into a classroom. They want to be doing things. They want to. They want to actually be, you know, learning things on the and job. You can understand that, job. can't you? When you've left school, you feel as though you've left school. Exactly, and mm. also you had a bad experience. You're not yeah. really up. Mm. The talk and the talk doesn't work for them. But if you put them in a workshop, you you have somebody there who's mentoring them, who's supporting them. You know, they're they're given an opportunity to to learn different skills. Well, then, yeah, they really do blossom and they do progress. So I suppose it is trying to ensure that we give young people give young people that chance as well. Um, and as I said, you know, we very much support the idea mm. that 
you know, they themselves have to get up and, and, and get at it themselves and, and ensure that they engage. But we need to meet them halfway. And I suppose we really would like to see the government do a lot more as a, in relation to access to apprenticeship, yeah. more in relation to back to education uh, training that actually you know, gets people, young people who maybe did leave school a couple of years ago, now maybe are have an interest and maybe won't be willing to go back into the system. Um, and also, I suppose there are maybe regretting the decision that they made at the exactly, time. Yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. yeah, they have yeah. the proper, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But I said sometimes it can be hard to get back into the system when you're out of it for a couple of years because also employers mm-hmm. look at your CV or ask you, well, have you been employed for two, you know last two or three years? And if you haven't, well, then they're going to they're going to look beyond you and they're going to go to the young person who maybe was just left school or just left college as well. So it can it can be difficult. There's a bit of a trap door there. And thankfully, there's have- fewer people in that situation, as you say, James. Uh, the figure of thirteen percent is far better than when it was at its worst, 30%. Take us back in time because I think at that stage we were talking about the prospect of a lost generation and a lot of those people went abroad but that was 10 years ago. Have they come back? Because a lot of them would be in their 30s now. Have they come back or what happened to those people? Yeah, I suppose really a lot. Yeah, you're right that we did have the safety valve, you know, like other countries like Greece or Italy or Portugal, Spain, where they had up to 60% youth unemployment. A lot of young people with qualifications in particular went abroad. I think uh, we don't, I mean, it's difficult because the, the figures and statistics aren't wonderful, but I think we have an idea that a, a large percentage have come back um, in the last couple of years and have, I mean, one of the issues though, I suppose, that is preventing that, while there's lots of jobs available, the housing crisis is certainly, you know, affecting that because young people are looking at the fact that there are jobs available in Ireland, but actually there's nowhere to live. So that probably is preventing more coming back, but certainly a lot have come back. I think, yeah, maybe there was a concern about the lost generation. I think overall, I, I, I think the positive news story is, you know, young people proved how resilient they were. They, they found ways to, to you know, to, to, to deal with a crisis which wasn't caused by them, you know, it was caused by, uh, you know, the older generations, but they did manage, I suppose, either to stay in education and training. Some of them, as you said, went abroad and have gained huge skills and have come back. Uh, some did get into employment and, you know, maybe at a very low level. I suppose it's important, I think, Michael, when we're talking about employment in Ireland now, it is important not to take too rosy a picture because there are many young people out there who are in you know, precarious employment, in, you know, employment which isn't really uh, like the traditional, you know, 40 hours a week, 9 mm. to 5. Uh, Low pay. Income. Yeah, there are Low hours. Who are, mm. Yeah, who are in, mm. are, are in situation. Now, now, there are many, you know, young people who mm. thankfully have, you know, a decent standard of living, a decent wage or whatever, but a lot of young people don't know from week to week what they're going to get. So that it's not like 20 or 30 or 40 years ago that you were either unemployed or employed. There are young people in a kind of a grey zone where they're in a situation where from week to week they don't really know what they're going to earn, they don't really know what, how many hours they're going to be working. So it is important, I suppose, that we don't, you know, we, we, we don't gloss over that as well. Okay. And we definitely have more work to do to ensure that we, if that when we are creating jobs, that we have decent quality jobs with decent pay and condition. Very good. James, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed Michael, for joining thank us. You. Thank you. James Durley, Deputy Director with the National Youth Council of Ireland. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now to serious crime, arrests in Drogheda, arrests in Trim, cocaine, power tools, a caravan, five cars seized, some court appearances, uh, illegal fuel, cigarettes and alcohol seized in Dundalk in a a bust by revenue officers with Angarda Siakana and two terrible separate gangland murders. Niall O'Connor, crime editor with uh, the Irish Mirror, 
is on the line. Uh, there's no shortage of crime. Niall, uh, where do you wish to begin this morning, uh, undoubtedly with these terrible killings? Yeah, well, you know, we, we've certainly seen a, a kind of, uh, we'll say, an upswing in activity in, the, in recent days. Uh, you know, the, start, the week started on Monday and Tuesday. It was very quiet, uh, crime-wise, uh, and then all of a sudden this, uh, this erupted. Well, the you know at the moment certainly Gardaí and Dublin are, are under an awful lot of pressure to solve these uh, double this double killing. But they, at the moment, I mean, they are making progress. Um, in this morning's Irish Mirror, we've we've uh, and I, you know for a full report, people should really go out there and buy buy, buy the Irish Mirror. But the but ultimately, what I, the one of the gunmen certainly was not masked. During this incident, uh, the one in uh, in Darndale, uh, it appears as though he was around for several hours before he uh, carried out the the murder uh, on a bicycle. And people have seen him, and uh, I was at the scene myself, and I, I certainly could see an awful lot of CCTV in the area. So that would help Gardy uh, a lot to uh, to be able to crack down on this. This is the, uh, the gunman uh, who killed this boy, Jordan Davis, just 22 years of age, and he was walking around with his four months old son at the time. That's correct, uh, yes, and uh, he's walking with another man. The gunman approached him, uh, uh, raised his firearm, uh, and uh, the man that was with Jordan Davis uh, took care of the baby uh, while Jordan Davis was murdered by this man. So, mm. really callous, really horrific scene. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a, a very, very busy area as well in Darndale. Uh, it's a troubled area. Uh, it's had an awful lot of problems. Mm. It's literally only a few metres away from another murder of John Lawless. Back at the start of the year, an innocent man who came out to go to work uh, and, a, and a good man that he had fallen out with uh, in previous months uh, just uh, gunned him down mm. uh, early in the morning. But this area has had an awful lot of difficulty, but this is more uh, in, a, in keeping with something that Jordan Davis was involved in. Yeah, and it uh, now appears that himself and Sean Little uh, were involved in low-level uh, drug dealing well, uh, that essentially uh, you know, caused their death because they owed money to a gang that they believed that they were on side with, uh, when in fact, of course, that gang didn't care for them. Uh, and uh, that's what led to, to the appeal from uh, the Guardian yesterday not to get involved in low-level drug dealing. Jordan Davis, a 22-year-old man, but many would consider him to be little more than a, a boy, the same as his friend Sean Little. And people would ask, why would anybody do this? Uh, you give some insight into that. There's a, a couple of motives, uh, and one of them uh, being, or potential motives, it should be said, one of them being the possibility that he owed up to €30,000. Yeah, this is these. It's a, it, it is a complicated scene, really. But yeah. I suppose, in the simplest of terms, these men knew another man called Zach Parker, who was murdered in Swords earlier earlier this year. And following on from that, these two men, uh, Zach, or sorry, Jordan Davis and uh, Sean Little, they also seemingly owed money to a drug gang. Now, that drug gang, I understand, to be linked in uh, to the, we'll say the wholesaling outfit that is the Kinnan Organised Crime Group. And uh, what happened then was these people owed money. They were approached and they were told, pay the money back. But clearly, if it's in the tens of thousands of euros, mm. uh, you know, two young men, 22 years old, you know, not from affluent backgrounds, they aren't going to be able to pay that debt. Uh, and ultimately, that resulted in them being murdered. Uh, I mean, there are an awful lot of theories, an awful lot of rumours going around now on social media on WhatsApp and other uh, groups but ultimately the simplest answer is usually the right answer and in this instance uh, you know it will every time I ask questions of sources 
the idea that these people owed money does not go away. And that, that seems to be the ultimate uh, situation here. Another, as an aside also, Jordan Davis's family were threatened previous to his murder. So, mm. you know, the, this gang is not, af- uh, they're not afraid of going after people's mothers, uh, fathers, sisters, and in fairness, ultimately a four-month-old child because, you know, yes, yeah. okay, the gunman threatened and, and the, the baby was handed over before the, the killing was carried out. But that was, you know, there was a, a four-month-old baby there as this murder happened. So these people, mm. they don't care. I, I mean, ultimately, you know, is Ireland any more violent than before? But at the moment, it just seems to be more callous and life is very, very cheap. Well, that's it. There's areas. lots of people listening to us who will tell you similar so- stories of people knocking on the door looking for money that's owed to them from their son or their brother or whatever the case may be, or a petrol bomb comes in the window. The last time I spoke to you, Nyla, I think uh, we were talking about an attempted murder at the Donamede Shopping Centre and whether it's Donamede or Darndale or Walchestown or Drogheda, this is commonplace now uh, and something we're becoming uh, accustomed to. What do you make of uh, the 18 arrests in Drogheda yesterday, the arrests in um, trim uh, for that matter uh, do you think Gardaí are making progress? Well we've seen this tactic before from the Gardaí and it's heavily intelligence uh, led um, Ireland is a very very small country and uh, like anybody else you know you're not you're not too removed from, from the information about somebody's life so the Gardaí have been working feverishly really uh, in regard to Drogheda in regard to that whole kind of load feud we can call now at this stage uh, and what they've done is they've built up a, an intelligence picture and yesterday they went out and they hit uh, a number of people who they suspect to be involved in organised crime or at least on the periphery of it. Um, this was kind of one of these high-impact uh, scenarios. It, it happened in Limerick City before, it's happened in Dublin, it's happened in other areas. But yeah. uh, what they do is they put a job together, uh, a very large-scale operation, and it goes out and it disrupts this gang uh, and, it, and it causes problems for this gang so that they can't operate. And they believe that... You know, in the wake of it, you know, for instance, in, in Limerick City, in the wake of the Shane Gagan murder and, and Ray Collins, these operations were done where there was 30 and 40 uh, houses hit. Um, and, uh, you know, people were arrested then on, on, say, for instance, a fellow might have a, a bench warrant. Well, he's yeah. going to be arrested and brought in if, if he, uh, you know, if he, if, if, if somebody has a warrant because they, because they haven't, you know, they're due to service sentence because they haven't paid a particular court fine. Well, you know, that's all, that is all included in this and uh, that's the kind of operations they do. They also then will do drug searches and they'll find drugs mm. and in the, in the course of those searches also then, of course, firearms can crop up and as we've seen in the last day or two, you know, stolen property, uh, power tools, things like that are going to be found as well in these searches. So these are really high-end, high-impact. Uh, it involves huge numbers of guarantee though and a lot of that is done on overtime uh, just simply to fill, fill the roster. Uh, and uh, it's quite expensive, but they do have a good impact. And, uh, you know, today that gang will be smarting because it is, you know, they weren't expecting to see guards kicking in their door yesterday morning. Good. Niall, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Niall O'Connor is crime editor with The Irish Mirror. He brings our programme to its conclusion today, indeed, uh, for this week. Before we go, thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. 
MFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Carrickmacross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Carrickmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Carrickmacross or carrickmacrosscu.ie.